So today we're going to be reading Luke 4, verses 14 through 30. If you have your Bibles and want to go ahead and turn there, that'd be great. But uh, as we get started, I kind of want to recap last week because we were all having church from home due to the snowstorm. So we were talking about Jesus being tempted. It's the first part of Luke chapter 4. And uh, Paul brought out some good points for us. And those were, we got to be full of the Spirit if we're going to be led by the Spirit. He also said, God doesn't lead us in temptation, but He leads us into confrontation. The third point was God turns, us, turns the places of greatest temptation into the places of greatest transformation. And then the fourth point was God, good things become bad things when, God, when we remove God as Lord of everything. With that being said, we're going to now transition into this week. It's verses 14 through 30 of Luke chapter 4. And I want you guys to think about a message that you've received, whether it be text message, email. You, you get these messages, and sometimes they are misunderstood. You don't get to experience emotion with text message, with emails, with written letters. And for me, I realized that I misunderstood some of these text messages quite often. One of the ones I remember the most was my senior year of high school. My parents uh, paid to have on the cover of my yearbook the words that God had spoke to them. They were, just watch what I'm going to do. And I, I really, as a high school senior, I was excited because I thought that meant that I was going to get to play basketball for the rest of my life. I enjoyed basketball. I loved basketball. I would play six hours a day. It's what I did. I loved it. And I thought, God's going to use me to allow me to go play basketball and to share the gospel that way. I misunderstood that message greatly. I didn't realize what God meant when he said, watch what I'm going to do. I thought that meant, watch what I'm going to do with you, not watch what I'm going to do through you. Because I thought it was about what I could do until God showed me it was about what he was doing through me. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to look today at Luke chapter 4. And we're going to look at how these, these Jews that Jesus is speaking to, how they possibly misunderstood the message that Jesus was saying. So if you have your Bibles with me, let's read Luke 4 verses 14 through 30. And it said, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was... He was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind." to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they said? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. 
Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many people in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they had heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd, and he went on his way. So before we dive into this, let's just go ahead and pray so the Spirit of God can just lay on to these words. Lord, thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity to come, the opportunity to be able to share your word. Lord, let this message reach everyone the way that it's reached me, Lord. Speak to the people here today in a way that only that we can only say that it was you moving in our hearts. Lord, just let us bring honor and glory to your name. For it's your precious holy name we pray. Amen. So we start off in Luke chapter 4. We are, we see Jesus comes out of temptation, and he's, he's beginning his public ministry. He goes, he goes, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And then the next line, it says, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. So it's really curious, I was really curious as I read this, because I was trying to figure out what news had spread about Jesus. At this point, he had been baptized that we read in Luke 3, his genealogy, where he came from. And then immediately Jesus is tested in the wilderness. But there was nobody around. It was just Satan and himself. And since Jesus overcame the temptation, Satan, it's safe to say, Satan wasn't going around bragging about Jesus. And so we got, I realized that the, people, the whole countryside was talking about Jesus going in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit had rested upon him. And we see that he went to Nazareth, which is where he had been brought up. And then he goes in to do what he normally did. He went to the synagogues and he was teaching. And so he, he unroll, he, the attendant gives him the scroll. He unrolls it to what we would call Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And this is where we see what I would call Jesus' mission statement. Now, I realize Jesus came to die for our sins. But Jesus came in a way, and he said that he had came to do this other than just by saying, hey, I've come to die for your sins. And so we're going to reread verses 18 and 19, which is Jesus' mission statement. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has appointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I began to read this, and I was like, you know, this is really awesome. I began to think about what's the big idea here at the gathering. Paul likes to use big ideas, what the meaning of the text is. And for those two verses, Jesus' mission statement, big idea, was this. It was the Spirit of God anointed Jesus to be the gospel to the world. And see, that's, that's a little bit different than what I expected 
for my life because I'm like, well, I can't, I'm not, I'm not Jesus. I'm not anointed to be the gospel. But Jesus was anointed to be the gospel. I'm, I'm enabled to share the gospel. But Jesus was anointed to be the gospel, to come and save us from our sins because we are sinners. And so when I, when I read this, I go into verse 22. Jesus rolls up, or verse 20, I'm sorry. Jesus rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, and sits down. And everybody just looks at him. And so Jesus said, today this, what you have heard is fulfilled. Like, I've come to do this. And everyone spoke well of him. They were amazed at all his gracious words. And I, I imagine I would be too, because when we look back at the Jews in this time, they were under Roman captivity. They were being hounded by the Roman citizens. And when, when Jesus shared this message, I can only assume that it was like a bright light at the end of the tunnel. Picture this, all right? So you, you've been captured. Somebody's taking you under control. And so you're sitting there. Somebody walks up and is like, hey, I've come to set you free, to give good news to the poor, to give you sight, and to proclaim the Lord's favor. Like, this is, this is great because immediately my reaction is the physical. I'm going to be taken... My, I'm not going to be held captive anymore. I'm going to be free. I'm going to be able to walk around. And this is where I believe the Jews of that day misunderstood Jesus' mission. I believe they were more focused on the oppression that they were experiencing from the Romans, and they were thinking about Jesus freeing them politically. I, think, I believe they were expecting a conquering king, someone who would come as a political leader to lead them out of this. Whereas Jesus came to be the spiritual savior. And knowing this, Jesus goes on into verse 22. You see that they, they were all amazed by him, asking, isn't this Joseph's son? And in verse 23, Jesus comes out of left field with something. He's like, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do hear what, in your hometown what, you've, what we heard that you have done in Capernaum. It was, that, that statement to me just seems really weird until I understood what Jesus was talking about. See, Jesus is talking to his hometown, the people that knew him growing up. Jesus is just now beginning his ministry, and he realized that just as in the old, a prophet is not welcome in his hometown. He understood that the people that he was coming to reach, the Jews, would not accept him. He understood that they would eventually lead him to the cross and he would lay down his life for our sins. And in this, I believe verse 23 speaks to what they were saying to him. They, I mean, at, at the cross, they said, if you are the son of God, come down and heal yourself. They, they wanted to see a miracle that Jesus had done, but he, he didn't because that wasn't the plan. And we see that Jesus uses two examples of people in verses 24 through 27, Elijah and Elisha, to, to share with his crowd that they were, that he would not be accepted. You see, Elijah 
was sent to a widow outside of his hometown to, to live because there had been much famine and drought. And God had a plan to save Elijah. But this woman, this widow, she, her and her son were living together. They had very little food, getting ready to make the last bit of it, eat it and prepare to die. Like, end of story. Well, God sends Elijah to this widow, says, hey, you make me food. God will not let you run out. After a little bit, the woman's like, okay. And so the woman does. Food continues to stay there. Well, then the woman's son dies. And she's like, what have you done? Have you just come to, to make me recognize my sins? And so Elijah, he, he takes the boy's body and he prays and God performs a miracle. And the boy's brought back to life. And the woman then says, for I know that you are a man of God. For the words that come out of your lips are truth. Through the miracle that God had worked through Elijah, through a widow from another town, she recognized the power of God. And in the same way, Elisha, in 2 Kings 5, he is, uh, he's in his town, and a Syrian, Naaman, who had leprosy, was there. He had come there to see the king because he had heard that someone there could heal him of leprosy. Well, he goes on from there, and the king's like, who am I? I can't heal you. And Elisha said, God sent him to me. So Naaman came to Elisha. Elisha said, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. Naaman said, I'm not going to do that. I have much cleaner rivers back home. And so Naaman leaves, and one of Naaman's servants said, well, if he would have told you to do something great, would you not have done it? And Naaman goes, that's true, I would have. I would have done it. And so they, they end up going to the Jordan. He washes seven times, and then his body is restored to that of a young boy. Naaman then goes back to Elisha and is like, wow, I recognize the power that the God you serve has. He, he even goes so far to say that I recognize the power of God in Israel is the only God. And in the same way, Jesus recognized that he wouldn't be able to go to his hometown and them accept him. And it made me curious as to why. But in Matthew 5, it speaks, Matthew 5, actually, verses 53 through 58, speak of a prophet not being able to go home using different wording. But they, the reason that Jesus wasn't able to reach these Jews specifically, was because they knew his genealogy. We learned a couple weeks ago from Paul that where we, are, where we come from is more important than where we are currently. Well, what the Jews saw where Jesus had come from was from Mary and Joseph. They didn't recognize the divinity, the holy power of Christ that was within him. And so when... When Jesus begins to express that he has come to do these things, they're like, who, who is he? And they actually took offense at him because they didn't understand who he was. And so it was interesting to me that he goes on to talk about how they would respond. But I believe from these 
verse 18 and 19 of Luke 4, we get to see four messages that we should share because we know who Christ is. We, we as Christians get to experience what this message is, and we get to experience the love that comes from Christ. And so instead of looking at this from a political stance of being free from the Romans, if we look at what Jesus is called to do in the spiritual sense, it begins to make a lot more sense. If we, like Jesus said, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. If we look at that as not the physical poor, but as the spiritually poor, the ones who did not have a recognition of God, did not know who he was, did not have a love with him, Jesus was saying, I've come to share the good news. I've come to be the good news. Whereas they thought he was the good news politically. Then also, it says he's come to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. They would, that would most likely be taken literally because they, they were captive. But Jesus recognized that we are sinful, and when we sin, we are slaves to sin. And he came to free us from the slavery to sin. And then he goes on to say that he recovers sight for the blind. And, I mean, I don't know what it's like to be blind. I can't imagine. But when we look at the things of the Lord, things of God, we can sometimes look with blind eyes because we do not recognize what we're looking at. And then we look at the year of the Lord's favor. And I can tell you right now, this doesn't look like the year of the Lord's favor in the time we're living. I mean, to the Jews, it didn't look like that to them either because they were being oppressed by the Romans. And so we're going to look at these, we're going to look at four messages we should share because Jesus has come to be the spiritual leader, not the political. The first message that we're going to share is that the Spirit enables us to share a message of freedom. This comes from, I'm sorry, the Spirit of God enables us to share a message of hope. This comes from the good news. We were sinners. We were convicted of sin from birth because we came from Adam. Through one man, sin entered the world. Through Adam, sin entered the world, and we were born with sin. We could do nothing to make that right, but God could do everything. And so he sent his son to be the gospel, to be the good news, and he anointed him so that we would be enabled to share the message of hope. Then we look at the second point. The Spirit of God enables us to share a message of freedom. I don't, I don't know how to express this, the feeling, because I've never, I've never had to deal with it, but the feeling of being a drug addict, a prisoner of war, such captivity that, no, that it, overtakes, it overtakes your life. It takes over and holds tightly a grip of your life and controls what you do. But Christ has come to proclaim freedom from our sin. See, sin is the biggest captive that we've ever faced. In John 8, 34, it says this. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. 
See, it's not that just you guys are slaves to sin or that I'm a, that just I'm a slave to sin, but we are all slaves to sin. The only one who was not was Jesus Christ who came to give us freedom. And in Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jesus Christ has set us free from the law because we're not able to measure up to it. God has a standard that he says, all right, if you're this good, you can come into heaven. And we're nowhere near it. I'm nowhere near it. But because of Jesus' sacrifice coming to this world to offer himself, we are able to be granted grace and mercy. And he takes us in which then allows us to share how we became free, not because of our works, but because of what Christ had done in us. And then we look at the third point. The Spirit of God enables us to share a message of vision. Jesus came to recover the sight for the blind. And so I was like, well, what, what blindness is there? And I want you to think about LASIK for a minute, LASIK surgery. I wear contacts, and so in the mornings I get up, I have to put them on. If not, I can't see. But when I put them on, I have vision. And I've heard from people who've had LASIK that when they have the procedure done, they, they lose sight for a moment. Temp- they have temporary blindness before their vision comes back. And it was really interesting to me that we are spiritually blind far too often. In Acts 26, 17, and 18, it says this. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That was... Jesus speaking to Saul, who would become Paul. We, <clears throat> we see that there is spiritual blindness because we look at things of God before we become Christians, and we don't understand what they are. For instance, think about this. You've got a dying Savior, a servant king, and a resurrected healer. I don't know about you, but someone who's dying, I'm not looking at them to save me. I'm not looking at a king to lead me who's serving. And I'm not looking at a healer who's already been dead. That's, that's how I look at it with my physical eyes. There's no way I'm believing any of that. But when God saved me, when he showed me that I'm a sinner and that Christ has opened my eyes, I began to understand that a Savior who, is, who was dying, he died for me. He died for you so that you could experience life, so that you could share a message of vision. He, a servant king, I realize that it is important to serve because my God serves first. And then the resurrected healer. It was through his death and resurrection that I am made whole, that I am healed, that I, my sins are taken away. And through that, that is, that is how I know that Christ loved me. And then 
The last point, the Spirit of God enables us to share a message of opportunity. This, this sounds a little funny, but in verse 19 it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus had come to do. Like I said earlier, this does not seem like the time of the year of the Lord's favor. And so I, I was like, well, what does all this mean? The year of the Lord's favor is the time between when Jesus first came and when Jesus came when Jesus will come the second time. When Jesus came here, he stopped this mission statement before it got to the end of verse 2 in Isaiah 61. You see, God has given us the opportunity to come to know him. And so Jesus recognized that he had come to show God's favor, to show that I'm here to save you. But when he comes again, he will say, I'm here to judge you, whether you are my child or not. And so we are able to share a message of opportunity because we recognize that this life is limited and that there is a next. That when we leave this world, that there's a place that we're going to, that we have to choose whether we're going to serve God or whether we're going to serve ourselves. I've heard it said that from pastors, God will say, you will either say to God, thy will be done, or God will say to you, thy will be done. The difference being who you're, who's saying it to who. When we realize that we have the opportunity to say, God, your will be done in my life, we understand that we now have hope. We have freedom. We have vision. And we are then able to go out and share the other opportunities with other people with the world. That, that brings us to the big idea of the whole, the whole message for us. The anointing of God, the anointing of Jesus enables us to share the message of God. The Spirit of God enables us to share the message of God because, with the world because the anointing of Jesus. And there may be somebody out there right now that says, hey, I don't have hope. I don't have freedom. I don't have vision. And I realize I'm in a moment of opportunity. I realize that I may never get this chance again. And so with, with the last few minutes, I would like everyone just to bow our head and close our eyes. And I want you to think about this. If you were to die today, where would you go? It seems like a simple question. But if you're banking on the fact that you're just good enough, it's not going to happen. You have to realize that God offers hope, freedom, vision, and opportunity. And he's offering you that right now. He sent his son so that you could live, so that you could know him and that you could walk in community with him. So if that's you right now and you're saying, hey, I have no hope. I have no freedom, and I, I, I can't see the things of Christ the way that I'm supposed to. Maybe you want to pray something like this. God, I'm a sinner, and I need you. I don't want to live this life worrying about where I'm going to spend the next, but I want to live my life focused on giving you every opportunity to receive glory. I want to share the message of hope, the message of freedom, the message of having vision, and the message of opportunity with the world, Lord. Just let me love you.
And if that's you, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, I just want to be able to take the moment to pray for you. And so if that's you, if you would raise your hand, nobody else looking around, if you are that person that needs hope, that needs freedom, that needs vision, and you just want somebody to pray for you, lift your hand. Thank you. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would first and foremost receive all honor and glory from every action that we make. God, I ask that you would be with this person, Lord, that you would show them your love, that you would show them your mercy and your grace, and show them how you want to give them hope, freedom, vision, and more opportunities to share you. God, as we go out this week, let our lives be molded by you so that we can share these messages, so that we can share these truths with the world, so that we can show the world that you are who you say you are. And Lord, as we go out, we thank you for the opportunity to come in and worship you and to hear about your love. And it's in your precious holy name we pray. Amen.